Hey, this is Dali, and you're listening to the Fear the Sword podcast. David, the Cavs are picking number five overall. They are not going to get Zion Williamson. It was an eventful draft lottery. Where do you stand on on where the Cavs are, are at right now and, and what they're getting in this pick? Uh, yeah, I mean, I just never really thought... I mean, I know, like, math is math, so we had as good of a chance at Zion as anybody, but, uh, you know, 14% is just not really that high, and um, I think the Cavs were supposed... I mean, the most likely result was the fifth pick, and that's what they ended up getting, so... You know, congrats to the NBA. They sort of got what they wanted. If the new, you know, if the old lottery rules were in place, I think the lowest we could be right now is uh, fourth. Um, but um, you know, it, it's not a bad place to be. I think once you get past that fifth or sixth spot, I think it it goes down a little bit in quality. Um, most people seem to think. Um, you know, there's one tier for Zion and another tier for Morant and Barrett. And then you've got sort of uh, Culver and DeAndre Hunter and, you know, uh, the guard, the point guard out of uh, North Carolina. So um, the Cavs are going to have some options. Um, certainly, you know, it wasn't the worst case scenario. Um, so I, I think they should feel okay. I think they should feel all right too. I think you know, in we you and I haven't talked in a while. Just so people know, like Dave and I have both just been a, a bit busy um, with with adult life things postseason. But we're gonna get back into a more normal schedule uh, up until I get married in in late June. Um, and, and David has his own thing that I won't say because I don't know if he wants. It. It's up to him if he wants to publicly disclose it. But. Um, the Cavs are in a spot where, like this, I think the conjunction with the John Beeline hire and the them picking fifth, I think to me is an indication that like they really have to get good at player development. You're looking at the the core of their team outside of you know Kevin Love and, and Larry Nance is going to be a number eight overall pick in Sexton, Jetty Osman, who was a the the first pick in the second round the year he was drafted, the number twenty six pick this year, the number five pick this year. And um, maybe Ante's is if you think of him as as part of your future, which we don't really know if they do or not. So picking five is not a guarantee that you're going to get a star or an all star. Um, you know, Greg Schwartz tweeted out I thought um, it, uh, the the last five, and I thought it was an, it was just kind of worth noting that because the last five number five overall picks in reverse order were Trey Young. De'Aaron Fox, Chris Dunn, Mario Hazonia, and Dante Exum. That's a mixed bag. There are two really good players in that list. There are three guys who um, you'd be kind of bummed out if he was your fifth overall pick. So this is not easy, but some of that can be contextual. Some of that can be, you know, bad drafting. This is a, a pick I think the Cavs have to nail if they're going to build things the way they seem to want to be building them. Yeah, I mean, the, it it's hard to get right, um, but, you know, all we're talking about are years of, of, of an NBA season, right? So um, we just watched, you know, I think net rating-wise, the worst NBA team, and this is what you need the payoff to be. So um, it's okay if you get it wrong. It just means that this year wasn't, uh, you know, worth what it could have been or, or as helpful as it, as it could have been. So, um there is a lot riding on it, and you're right. It's it's certainly not a given, but it's not a given if you pick second, and it's not a 
given if you pick third, and it's not you know a, a given if you pick anywhere really. Um, you know, which again is not to say you know in a you know you would always rather pick fourth than fifth, and you know you end up where you end up. But um, you know they they have to trust uh, their scouting ability. You know, I I think it seems like we're getting a little bit better at scouting, but then you know you see a guy like. Um, you know, Doncic fall last season. So um, that being said, I, I think if you look at the top six of last year's draft, I think most teams still have reason to feel, you know, okay about what they did. So um, if the league's getting better at evaluating, um, you know, you would think that, you know, there's usually going to be, you know, at least 10 solid NBA players in a draft. So it's just... It's on the Cavs to find him. Uh, when you look at this lottery, we'll get into a couple of names I think people should look out for, names that at least jump off to us. I think there's three that I think I will be thinking a lot about, but this is a this also just ended up being a, a crazy lottery. If people um, didn't watch or weren't on Twitter, which I, I would guess that you were, the, the official draft order saw David Griffin and the New Orleans Pelicans go to number one. You already have a Mark Spears tweet being like Zion like was whisked away when he didn't go to the Knicks. So like that's that's very not great. Uh, the Grizzlies at two, the Knicks at three, LeBron's Lakers at four, and the Cavs at five with Phoenix, Chicago, Atlanta, Washington, Atlanta again via Dallas, Minnesota, Charlotte, Miami, and Boston via Sacramento as the draft order. Um, I feel like the Cavs aren't like the biggest loser. I think Phoenix and the Bulls in particular are big losers. Um, you know, Atlanta at eight and 10 is I think another loser. Cause they could have had like a really interesting situation, but you know, that's not, at least they do have two picks and maybe they can do something with those. I feel like obviously the big winners, David Griffin um, in this. And I, I feel good for Griff, frankly. Um, you know, even though like it's a weird thing, like this is going to get real complicated because of AD and, and what people thought Zion could be as a trade chip. But like, I, I'm happy for Griff at least. And, and, and I'm, I was here for the chaos of this draft order. Yeah. And it's, it's fine. Zion's not, you know, thrilled or, you know, if it's a shock to him, he's on national TV, he's, you know, 18, 19, you know, years old, um, I don't think people assumed that the Pelicans were going to get the number one pick. Um, you know, if if he you know was sort of a deer in headlights, yeah, I think ninety eight percent of us would have been. Now, if all of his people were telling him, "Oh, you're going to the Knicks, you're going to the Knicks," that's dumb in the first place because if the Knicks get that first round pick, there's a pretty good chance he gets traded to the Pelicans. So, um, you know, it's kind of like one of those situations where with Wiggins, Wiggins seemed to be blindsided by the fact that the Cavs were going to trade him. Um, and, you know, it's not necessarily his fault that he's blindsided by it, but people around him need to sort of be explaining, okay, you know, here here are the, the possible outcomes. And, um Zion has plenty of time to get used to being a New Orleans Pelican, or maybe not. Maybe he'll maybe he'll be traded, you know, somehow. If if Anthony Davis says, you know, I want to win right now, if we stay, maybe maybe they move him. I, I don't think they would do that. It's hard to see that happening. Um, but 
it's a weird league and crazy things can happen. And one of those crazy things is the Pelicans winning the lottery. All right. So what for you is the, let's just start with this as a groundwork. What do you think is the positional need for the Cavs as they enter the draft lottery? Like what, what would you say? Like the, this, they're like their big need at five that you would like to see them address is. Well, it, it, it goes back to this, the same thing. Uh, you know, the overarching pro so, so, so the overarching problem with the Cavs, right, is that they don't have any stars. So, uh, because they don't have any stars, they can improve at every single position and that would be great. Um, but, um, you know, so they could, they could draft anybody at any position. Um, you know, theoretically, if Colin Sexton's a point guard, that might be your lowest need, just just in terms of you know helping build around and with him, um, you know, or if you're just looking at purely the best player, you know, Kevin Love is your power forward slash center, so you might not need that. Um, they actually have some playmaking, you know, wings, um, but you know, I, I think that's sort of what you'd be looking for wing and you hope that somebody can grow into it at a high level uh for me i would guess that's Jarrett culver um but they can look at a few different guys i think for me it's 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 wing so if you're looking at the draft board it's guys like Jarrett culver guys like deandre hunter guys um that's that that's what they do and that that is their just kind of baseline level skill set um for me i think those are the guys you 100 percent should be targeting because that's what this roster needs now i will say that the caveat here is that like if John Beeline, who we don't know a ton about what he thinks of the roster yet, what he thinks of Colin Sexton in particular, decides, hey, like, I think Colin can play for me. I think he can be a guy that fits what I do, but it's not to be the league guard, which I ask a lot of. Maybe that brings in a Kobe White or a Darius Garland or someone else into that conversation. But for me, I think if you're looking at them building a modern team, building a team that can kind of maximize already what it already has and, and do some interesting stuff in terms of uh, p- positional versatility and, and also just like building in a way that will give them some depth at positions they don't have right now. I think it's 100% Jared Culver, DeAndre Hunter, um, you know, if that Cam Reddish, that name's going to come up, even though he's very underwhelming. Those are the kind of names where I think we're going to be looking at because I think when you look at the draft order as it is, I think we can say very clearly Zion is off the board. Barrett and and Morant both seem to be off the board two and three, regardless of where they go. Four is obviously wild card with LA, but I, I think the Cavs should be at the very least be in a position to take the kind of guy like a Hunter, like a Culver that they like. I think five is at least they're ahead of teams like Phoenix, Chicago, and Atlanta. Even even if the the disorder isn't perfect, they at least are ahead of the type of teams that might have been selecting similar guys to them. Yeah, I mean they will get a, a, a ch- they will get at least a choice of between Hunter and Culver. Now they might not do that. They've surprised us many many times, uh, but they do have that shot. So uh, hopefully they take it. You know, in my opinion, but. Uh, I've been wrong about lots of things. So, you know, maybe Kobe Altman falls in love with somebody or Mike Ganzi does or uh, Dan Gilbert does. Who knows? <laughs> but um, uh, they got a lot of guys in that office. I think people are excited. That I, You know, 
I don't think there's a way to necessarily look at the Cavs front office and say that it's um, running poorly. Um, I, you know, I don't know how involved the you know Kobe Altman was in hiring John Beeline, but um, you know, John Beeline obviously felt good enough about the structure that he was you know willing to leave a pretty good Michigan situation to go there. So. Uh, no reason to be negative right now, I don't think. You, you say that now, and then the Cavs are going to take, like, <laughs> like Seca Demboya or, like, Cam Reddish or, like, do something crazy. Like, they're going to take Bull Bull at five, and are going to be like, well, like, maybe them, like, having to make a, a tough decision, like, isn't isn't great for them. Um, yeah, and I, you know, last year in the draft, I really wanted, I thought Kevin not, you know, I, I didn't really follow it that closely, to be honest. But, you know, I, I looked at the tools the potential tools of a Kevin Knox and his size and his shooting ability and his, the body that he had for defending. And that was kind of who I wanted. Um, and I came into this year thinking the same about Cam Reddish. Like, you know, if we end up in that three, four five draft spot, Cam Reddish is going to be the guy that I want. But I just think we're getting the point, whether it's Harrison Barnes or Wiggins or, you know, any of these wings like i need to start seeing them do stuff in college like i i'm not just drafting somebody based on and i have a little bit of that worry with rj barrett because he didn't perform to the level people wanted but he did have a, you know an extremely high usage rate and he did have you know he did move the ball and, and he did uh set teammates up um so he wasn't you know somebody who just sort of faded into the background i guess it doesn't matter because the Cavs don't have a shot at him anymore anyway but my point is i'm, I'm really just looking for guys who who do stuff that are are active and you know get rebounds and you know assists are not a good metric but that that move the ball and you know have good court vision so you know i think that's Jarrett culver and and i i think deandre hunter does a lot of that but um cam reddish really scares me yeah, Cam Reddish scares me as well. Um, and Trevor Magnotti, who I trust, you know, immensely with draft stuff, is is just like not uh, about him either. So I think that 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 factors into my opinion there as well. Um, all right, let's talk about John Beeline. So the draft, we're gonna have a ton of time to talk about the draft. There's a bunch of stuff that we'll get into. Where are you at? Where are you? You and I haven't exactly talked about this at all. We've had like a very sort of, um, I think kind of passive fear the sword kind of chat in our in our little g chat about this but where are you at on, on john beeline right now as we're a day removed from his hiring um you know as far as a dan gilbert hire goes i i think this is about as good as it gets um and it might be you know a mike gansey hire because he played for him and um you know this is a guy who's worked his way all the way up and um you know, seems to be pretty open-minded in terms of um, playing the modern game and um, you know, you know, playing for spot-up shots and uh, using the pick and roll and you know, modern NBA concepts. So I, I'm reasonably happy about that. I, I don't really care about going for the big name, and there's an element of that to this. Um, but he's been successful everywhere he went and he's been it's he's been successful at some schools that aren't exactly basketball schools either so um it, you know 
Uh, of the Dan Gilbert hires, I think this is about as good as it gets. Yeah, I would. Uh, so I will point out that there was this uh, Orion Sang who covers Michigan um, for the Free Press of Detroit had uh, had the, he talked to he was at the draft con, uh, the draft lottery. He talked to John Beilein a bit, and this is some this is a quote um, that I thought stood out about from John Beilein. There's a bunch there. I will link to this in the show notes of this podcast, but. He said, quote, I did not know him at all in reference to Dan Gilbert, Michigan State guy. But once we met, I think we hit it off right away. I think with that and I think all of the stuff that is out there about Mike Gansey being the connection there about there's like a Terry Pluto story today about how like Kobe Altman met John Beeline at a wedding a couple years ago and like became fascinated with his basketball mind. There are like those types of leaks and stories out there that the narrative they're I think smartly trying to sort of push is that this wasn't a Dan Gilbert thing that this was this is part of the process that this is part of the culture they're trying to build. Um and I think that's a, that is a sellable thing. I think it's a smart thing to do. Um, certainly, I, I you know I think there is information out there that like Gilbert was meeting with Beeline concurrently to uh, those interviews going on at Denver. So like there's there's certainly I think Dan's influence is here. I think Beeline's interesting hire. I think there's a lot we're just gonna have to see how it goes before we can really sort of evaluate him. Um, for me, it just kind of came out of the field. I've written about this a bit, but. Um, I, I think it's interesting and, you know, I'm skeptical of the college coach transition. I think it will be an adjustment, but, um, that's why, like, I think getting JB Bickerstaff makes sense is, is, and I think doing that kind of stuff should help John Beeline. And by all accounts, he's really, really smart at basketball stuff and like knows what he's doing and, and has things that are going to fit the NBA. So I think that is at least interesting. Yeah. I mean, I, I think those are all the things that the Cavs should do. Um, but um, they've always had a pretty good communication staff. And um, and maybe it's true. You know, I don't know. I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm sure they're not making those things up. No, I'm not um, saying they are. So, you know, I, hey, I, like I said, I, it, I, I agree with you. I, I would assume that there will be an adjustment period. You know, he had those comments where he said he has to learn, like, the NBA, you know, um, lingo and, you know, I think it's going to be, you know, he's going to have an adjustment, um, you know, learning how to deal with veterans that don't rely on him for his scholarship offer. Um, you know, um, it's a different world. There's just different, there's a different power and structure in the college game coaches have a lot of power in the nba they just don't so i'm sure he knows that as well as anybody because he's in and around the nba game um he doesn't strike me um as the sort of like insecure power hungry person as like rick patino is but i do think he is a control freak which a lot of the best coaches are. Um, and so it'll be interesting to see how he balances um, needing to have control with the NBA game where that's largely impossible. So we'll see. Yeah, I think the last thing I'll say in Beeline, um, we're going to talk about him a bunch more. I think, you know, what he does and, and sort of how he approaches this will be really interesting. Um, I just like think there are really interesting fits with him. Um, 
in terms of like the personnel thing. I think it's something you cannot correct. Like I just like think like think about like the him and like the Jordan Clarkson connection. I think that's fascinating. I think like what he thinks of Sexton um, will be quite interesting. I think you know like what you know he said he's talked to Kevin Love. Um, I'm gonna pull up the exact quotes because um, Orion had these these quotes. Um, so he said. Um, so basically, he's like he's talked to Kevin Love. Like he's he's had a chance to like touch base with Kevin. Um, you know, I talked to Kevin Love today. Got a lot of guys with great experience, especially winning. Talked to all the players today. I feel a good karma right now. Um, he said they're going to shape the roster. There's good young players. I think that's sort of what they're asking him to do. But I think like we need to see what happens with Sexton, what happens with with Love, with Jetty. There's just like stuff I want to see how he approaches them. And it's and I just like will he coach summer league? Like there's just a lot of little stuff I want to see how it plays out. I think that's what's really interesting about this. I think if it was like Jordy Fernandez, we would certainly have these same sort of evaluation points. But I think because Beeline does come from a different background, I think than we are expecting, it's going to be a really interesting thing to watch unfold. It's unorthodox, and that the, the Cavs hiring someone who is like sort of unorthodox in terms of the hire, even if he was like on the radar of other NBA teams or whatever, that doesn't surprise me either. And I think it's something that you know it, it either works or it doesn't. But I, I think you know they they hired David Blatt last time. That was certainly unorthodox, even if there was a lot of push for him to get a chance to do that. So. Um, I've I've come to be really intrigued by it more than I was when I initially got that Woj bomb notification. Yeah, and you know maybe this is a hot take. I don't know. If I were him, I would not coach summer league. Um, I, if I were him, I would just go and watch how the players interact there and how the players party there and um, look at how Colin plays and get a sense for how whatever assistant coach is there coaches. Um, and you know be around the practices maybe run the practices or watch how the practices are run and just relax and again i'm guessing he's a bit of a control freak that will probably be very difficult but he has to start somewhere and and you know if he was willing to take a step back and watch and learn a little bit from the beginning that would be a good sign to me yeah, I, th- I think that's right. And I think the practicing will also be interesting because, like, college teams practice way more than NBA teams do just by the sheer schedule. Like, how that impacts Beeline will be really interesting. That's why I think, like, someone like J.B. Bickerstaff, I mean, Bernie Bickerstaff is in the organization. Um, you know, someone who come in and sort of, like, help him, even though he is, like, a very experienced coach, someone who, like, knows the NBA grind. I think would be just an, a really invaluable thing on his staff, especially if he just doesn't seem like a guy to me either that is going to have an ego about this. And I think that, like, I was talking about this, um, can't even remember with who, but, like, David Blatt had, like, a lot of, um, I don't know what it was, but he was just, like, very defensive about, like, his skill level and his comfort and stuff about, like, the NBA transition. And I don't think that helped him. No. I feel like with Beeline, it's going to be the opposite. That's the vibe I'm getting. Well, yeah, and I'm, I mean, I'm sure Dan Gilbert will, uh, I, I would assume that he would help him with that, you know, and um, I think David Blatt, you know, would, you know, be antagonistic with the media about things that were kind of crazy to Literally be Literally anything about. that he could. Yeah, and, you know, maybe that was his way of being comfortable and maybe the way that, you know, media was done in other places, but... 
it just was unnecessary here. And it was like really fun for a lot of Cavs Twitter because hating on media is fun. Um, it, like I mean, Browns Twitter likes nothing more than it, and, but Cavs Twitter used to be a lot like that. And um, like, okay, but they're pyrrhic victories because, like, okay, like you owned the media guy, but like when the leaks start coming out against you, who do you go to? Who's going to get your message out? Is it the guy that uh, you know is the guy from the Akron Beacon Journal that you just zinged you know before the game for asking what the starting lineup is? he's probably not going to be very interested in helping you out. Um, so it just, you, you just burn bridges that you don't need to burn. And, um, you know, it is what it is. David, any, any final takes, any, um, any gut feelings you got coming out of, out of this day, out of beeline, out of, out of the draft lottery, where, where just you at right now with where the Cavs are, are really starting off their off season with two pivotal things happening within, you know, about 24 hours of each other. I'm just going to say not really about the Cavs necessarily, but um, it's a tough result, I think, for the Knicks because uh, even though they could have fallen farther, um, I think they they had two really good scenarios. One would have been winning the lottery or getting the top three, which they, they came close, but with the Pelicans winning, um, I think it makes it less likely that the Knicks are in a position to trade for Anthony Davis, either because the Pelicans no longer want to trade Anthony Davis or, uh, you know, David Griffin can somehow convince him to, to hang tight for a while, um, or because they simply don't have um, as as valuable of a... Uh, of a trade, you know, if the Knicks had won, I really would have been leaning towards, you know, somehow a Kyrie, KD, AD link up in New York. It's hard to see, it's hard to see that happening that easily now. Yeah. Uh, For the Cavs, I'll just say, I think they're doing things interestingly. I think I'm intrigued by how they are approaching this. Um, I just we need to see what happens with the draft. We need to see what happens with Beeline and the rest of his coaching staff. There's a lot of other really interesting things to come, but um, I think it's a good first 24 hours. I don't think the picking fifth is a disaster by any means. It's not the most fun, you know. It's not Zion. It's not RJ. It's not Ja. But I think it could be something for the Cavs, and I think it'll be a test of really what they um, are kind of going to do. And if if they're up for the way the way that they've been, this is like where the Cavs in their stated goal of how they want to rebuild. This is the type of stuff that will decide if they're up for that or not. And I'm I'm very interested in finding out. Uh, but find David on Twitter at David Zavok. David, as always, man, thanks so much. Hey, good call. Talk to you guys soon. This has been The Bottom, a Feel the Sword podcast. We will be back soon. We will not disappear from your feeds for as long as we did this time. But check out Feel the Sword, a whole bunch of great stuff we have over there. And have a great Wednesday. Enjoy thinking about mock drafts and picking fifth and all that kind of stuff. And um, stay here for all the, all the craziness that is surely to come out of this draft order as well. Talk to you soon.